Open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 9. I told the congregation on Wednesday night, and if you were here, I said I was going to start a subject which is, I believe is only going to take three Sundays that I've never, I don't think I've ever preached before. Um, I'm not sure in the 24 years I've been here I've ever heard it preached here before. It may have been. Pastor Sam may have done it. I don't recall. Um, but it's on my heart. It's been on my heart for a little while, and it just went off in me as we finished our discussion of tithing last week. Because again, we live our lives out day by day, dealing with issues of the day, and those become the focus of our thinking, of our worrying, of our faith, of our prayers, and all that we do. And and in the reality of the scope of eternity, those issues are really nothing. They're really nothing. We spend so much time worrying and fretting over things that a thousand years from now won't matter to us. And some of you I know are facing really serious issues. But even if you were to lose your house a thousand years from now, that's not going to matter. I know it matters now, but we lose perspective on these things. And we become all uptight and upset. And, and when we lose perspective, we get into fear. When we get into fear, our, our, our whole focus gets narrowed down. When we get narrowed down, we can't see God's hand in what's going on. And so there are times we need to be recalled to things. And that's what we're going to talk about this week, next week, and then the third week. Read the scripture and then I'll tell you what it is. Hebrews chapter 9. Just verse 1, 27, excuse me, verse 27. As it is appointed for men to die once, and after this, the judgment. We live most of our lives trying to avoid the fact that there's going to come an end. I found myself looking back over the last month or so of people that I've known well and been close to and people that we've known well, even here, like Marianne Brown and others that I know and knew very well, very close to, and they're not here now. They've crossed, uh, they've crossed over into a different life. And it makes you realize that we're not going to live forever either. I read a book once that talked about going through a cemetery and you seeing born this date, died this date. Well, each of us here this morning, I assume, can go back and fill in the blank for born this date, but you don't know what that other date is yet. But what we do know is, unless Jesus comes first, there is another date that's awaiting us. We don't like to look about it, at it. We don't like to think about it. We'd like to stick our head in the sand and pretend it's never going to happen. But the reality is, it's coming. The reality is we're one day closer today than we were yesterday. Isn't this exciting? <laughs> but if all you come to church for is to get excited, if all you come to church for is to get excited and build up, then you're going to have in for a rude shock because part of the purpose of the truth is to prepare us. God is a loving Father. And once you love somebody, you will prepare them for what is to come, whether it's exciting or whether it's challenging, but you'll prepare them for it. And you can't be prepared for something you don't know is going to happen. And you can't be prepared for something that you are not willing to look at and face that it's going to happen. So this verse says it's appointed every man, every person, 
to die once. And then comes the judgment. The word judgment is a Greek word, krisis, K-R-I-S-I-S, which basically means verdict. It's a legal term for the verdict that was handed down by either the judge or a jury at the end of a case. And what it means is a choice. In a verdict, it's either guilty or not guilty. It's either plaintiff or defendant. It's a dividing point where a choice is made to go one direction or the other. And the title of this very short series is You Choose. And there are only two choices we're going to look at. One choice which we're going to look at today is hell. You don't hear that preached in church very often. And the second choice is heaven, which we're going to look at next week. And then the third week we're going to look at how is that choice made? How is that choice made? What determines which one of those two places you're going to go? Because you're going to go to one of the two, and you're going to go there forever. So why do we need to look at that? You know, we're, we're, most of us are saved. Well, there are several reasons for people that are saved why we need to look at it. First of all, it says, it says well, let's, just a second, let me, let's, turn to, for, let's turn to 1 Peter. No, don't bother. I'm gonna, it, it's going to slow me down. In 1 Peter, he talks about 1 Peter chapter, 2 Peter chapter 1. He goes through things that we need to develop into our lives. Diligence, patience, love, all those godly qualities. And he says if you develop those, what you'll find is they will keep you from stumbling. And he says when you forget those things, you've forgotten what you were saved from. You've forgotten that you were cleansed of your sins. Something motivated you. I'm talking to those that have given their life to Christ this morning. Something motivated you to either come down here in your house, get on your knees somewhere. Something motivated you to commit your life to Christ, to call upon Him to be your Savior. And in my case, it was 20... That was 35 years ago, 34 years ago. You know, it's easy to forget what that was like then. It's easy to forget what things were like before I walked with Christ. It's easy to forget that. So we can forget why we came to Christ. And in some cases, we came for all different kinds of reasons. And if we forget why we came, if we forget what we were saved from, we tend to not lose the value of what we were saved to. One of the greatest dangers of of being a Christian for a period of time is you get complacent. And I'll be very frank with you. There's a difference in the atmosphere in the first service and the second service. Because the first service tends to be those of us who've been around here for a long time. So we kind of know the ropes. We know how to go. We know we're supposed to sit. We know, you know, we know all that. We know what the routine's going to be. We know we've been walking with this for a while. And the problem with that is we begin to get complacent. We begin to take things for granted. We begin to just sort of walk through the motions. Knowing, well, I know I'm going to heaven. I know, you know, this is good. So I just kind of coast along. And we forget what we've been saved from, if we ever knew it. Because there are many of us that weren't saved from anything, we were saved to something. Here's what I mean by that. Because the gospel that's been preached in the last 15 years has been, has been very much focused on the blessings of walking with the Lord. 
the blessings of being with God. God will prosper you. God will take care of you. You'll be full of joy and all that. And that's true. But we forget we never were taught what we were saved from. And here's the problem. Whatever led you to come to Christ, whatever motivated you to come to Christ, will be the foundation on which he's able to build. So if you came to Christ because of all the benefits you were going to get out of serving him and walking with him, then that becomes the foundation of your walk with God. And the problem is if you go through a stretch of time when you don't see the benefits, then what happens, and the Bible says in the last days, many will fall away. Why? Because they're not getting what they came to Christ for. But if you came to Christ, in fact, the, the revivals, you know, we want to have a revival like they used to have under Charles Finney. We want to have a revival like they used to have under Jonathan Edwards. The basis of those revivals are what we're going to talk about today. is a healthy understanding of what's facing us without Christ. So one of the values of looking back and looking at what, what, what the Bible says about hell, what hell is really like, one of the values of that for those of us who've been around for a while is to kind of ref- remind us what we've been saved from. That also tends to make us more thankful. There's a scene where Jesus is sitting at the, eating at the house of, a, of one of the Pharisees and there's a woman that comes in and she, she, she takes this, this, uh, this flask of very valuable perfume and breaks it and pours it over his feet and she cries and she tears and she wipes his feet with her hair and she was apparently a prostitute and, and the, 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 the Pharisees look at each other and say, well, if he's a prophet, how come he doesn't understand who this woman is and where she's come from? And Jesus, perceiving by the Spirit what they were thinking among themselves, said, I, I, you came, I came here to you, and you've served me food, and you've done these things, but this woman's come, and she's, she's washed my feet with her hair, in my, her tears in my hair, and she's, she's anointed me with this beautiful perfume as an anointing, seeing ahead for her, his burial. He says, the differences between her and you is... She knows she's been forgiven of much. You think you deserve me. You think you deserve your relationship with God. So when we forget where we were headed, when we forget or in many cases don't even understand, never heard what it was we were headed from, we've been saved from, when we remember that or learn it for the first time, it gives us a tremendous appreciation again for what Jesus has saved us from and what Jesus has done for us. Another thing it does for us, if we've been saved for a while, is, you know, we get lukewarm when it comes to sharing the gospel. We just kind of look at everybody, well, they're not Christians. They're not as smart as I am. They're not as holy as I am because I came to Christ. Well, you didn't come because you were so smart or so holy. You came because he had mercy on you and somebody shared the gospel with you. When you begin to understand what your neighbors are facing, when you begin to understand what, what, what people around you on the street are facing if they don't come to Christ, it gives you a different motivation to share the gospel with them. So we're going to take a look at it. We could spend weeks on this. I don't want to do this in any way to scare you, but I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not trying to shock you, but I want to share you the truth. Hell is a shocking place. Hell is a shocking 
place. You take the most hideous thing you can imagine and you multiply it a million times and you've not begun to sense what it's like there. So let's begin to look at the Word of God a little bit and we're only going to spend today on it. We may come back to it later on. Another reason to share about this is that there's an attitude. You know, we come casual about it. We even use the word so loosely. We throw it around. In fact, if we get really mad at somebody, if, and I'm not going to say you should do this, but we may, we may suggest somebody goes there. <laughs> or at least tempted to say that. And, and knowing we shouldn't. And if you ever understood what it was really like, those words would never cross your lips. There's an expression that you'll hear from people sometimes if you talk to them about the Lord. Say, you know, hey, all my friends are going there, so I might as well go there and join them. And I think that's very often an attitude among our young people. But it's not just among our young people. It's our older people too. We're going to have a big party there. We're going to see today there's no party in hell. Not only that, there's a belief that's being, beginning to be taught in the church. The attitude's been there a long time, but it's now being taught that there really is no such place as hell. The theory, one of the theories is, well, God is a loving God. And because God is a loving God, God would never send anyone to hell. Well, we're going to find out in two weeks how, you, how that happens. And you're going to find out it's not because God's unloving. A loving God, let's put it this way. God loved you so much, He sent His Son to die for you so you don't have to go there. See, we have this idea that because God's a sovereign God, whatever happens is because God's decided it's going to happen. God gave us a free will. God gave us a free will, and the purpose of a free will is so you can make your own free will choice. That's why we entitled this series, You Choose. It's your choice. It's your choice where you spend eternity. It's your choice. It's not God's choice. God will plead with you. Psalm 136 says, His Spirit will go all the way to the gates of hell to plead with you not to go. But if you've determined to do what it takes to go there, He cannot stop you. He cannot violate your will. He can't do it. He can do all kinds of things to persuade you to exercise it a certain way, But if you made up your mind to do what you want to do, he will ultimately let you do what you want to do. And so there's a casualness about hell. Casualness in the way we talk about it. There's a casualness in our attitude about it. And I trust that by the time we finish today, you'll at least have enough of an interest to find out there's nothing casual about hell at all. All right. Let's begin to look at it. Well, what is is hell? What's the term come from? There are three words, and I'm not going to get into this this morning, but there's three words in the New Testament that are all translated hell, and they have slightly different meanings. But the basic word that refers to hell is Gehenna, G-H-E-N-N-A. And it comes from a, it's an English version, a Greek version, excuse me, of a Hebrew word, Hinnom. And it refers to the valley of Hinnom, H-I-N-N-O-M, which is, was, it was at the southern slope of Jerusalem, and it was originally used for pagan sacrifices, originally used for pagan sacrifices. In fact, King Ahaz and then King Manasseh actually burned their children there as a sacrifice to the god Molech and Baal, 
pagan gods. What eventually it turned into was the trash dump for the city. And what would happen is they would, just, it was, they would burn things there. It was like a great incinerator. And they would take the trash, they would take animals that were sacrificed, or they would take animals that died, or, and they would just throw them in there. And it burned with this horrible odor of sulfur. If you've ever heard, smelled sulfur burn, it's a hideous odor. And then the burning of flesh. Now, some of what I'm going to share this morning may not be easy to hear. But believe me, it's a lot easier to hear it than to face it. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat things. I know we want to hear things that make us feel good. I know we even want to take the difficult things and kind of sugarcoat them. You know, we put coating on, on pills so that they can go down easier. And we, we put, you know, we put cherry flavor into certain, you know, things we have to drink with medicine so it goes down easier. But this can't, if this goes down easier, then we miss it. A place where flesh was burning, where the smell was burning all the time. And the term Gehenna was used, it was, it was brought, that image was to be brought into their teaching to ex- give us some minor sense of what this place is like. So that's where the origin of the term hell, at least the, the word Gehenna comes from. There's a term Hades, which basically means an unseen world. It's the place where we don't know where you're going, but it's, you're not here anymore. And then there's Tartula, which is, uh, we'll talk more about that later on. All right. It's interesting because Revelation, and we can't go possibly go through all the scriptures today, but Revelation talks about it as a lake of fire and brimstone. Brimstone is an old term actually used for sulfur. All right. Now, let's talk about a little bit about what it's like. Go with me to Matthew chapter 5. Say, God loves me. Oh, let's try that again. God loves me. <laughs> I'm going to be okay. <laughs> All right. That's why Jesus died for you. All right. This gives us a little sense in, from Jesus' perspective of how serious this was. I want to approach it, first of all, from that point of view. We're going to start in verse 29. He's talked here. He's in a series of teachings about how to deal with sin. He says, you know, if you're... If you're the verses before, he's basically saying that if, if you... If, um, in the law, it says if you... Com, you know, that if you have an immoral relationship with a woman who's not, you're not married to, then that's committing adultery. He says, but I say if you look at her to lust after her, then you've already committed adultery in your heart. Now, that's not an excuse to then go out and do it in your flesh. But that's what he's saying. He said the standard, the standard in the kingdom of God is not just what you do outwardly, it's what you do inwardly. And then because of that, he goes to verse 29 and says this. If your right eye causes you to sin... Pluck it out and cast it from you, for it's more profitable to you that one of your members perish than that your whole body be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin or stumble, cut it off and cast it from you, for it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than that your whole body should be cast into hell. What he's saying there is the consequence of sin, ultimate consequence of sin, is being sent to hell. And that is such a horrible consequence that whatever you've got to do 
Whatever you've got to do, whatever price you've got to pay so that you don't have to go there, even if it's pulling your eye out if that's causing you to sin or cutting your hand off if that's causing you to sin. If you've got to go to that extreme, do it if it's what's necessary to save you from hell. Now, that doesn't mean we go around gouging our eye out and cut our hands off. He's using that symbolically to say, this is how serious this is. You need to be serious with yourself. You need to take serious action with yourself that whatever you've got to do to make sure you don't go there, you better go and do that because that's the consequences of that are so serious you don't want to sit in hell with a full head, full, two eyes and two hands and two feet and yet have... And, and where I got all tangled up there. <laughs> and have missed heaven. But you're better to go into heaven maimed. Now, that talks about this life. Whatever it costs you in this life to make sure that you don't have to go there, it's worth it. That's what he's saying. Because this is a relatively short period of time. 60, 70, 80, 90. If you make 100, wow, that's nothing in eternity. And how we handle what we're going to talk about during that 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years is determining... What's going your eternity is going to be like? Eternity is going to be like. And we'll see, once that choice is made, there's no turning back. There's no second chance once you cross over into that next realm, that next stage of life. So Jesus is saying here, the consequence is so important that whatever it costs you here, whatever you've got to let go of, for some of us it may be, it may be things in our life that become idols. When Lafayette was here, he talked about idols in our life. It may be idols of cars and things, your job, your reputation. It may be relationships with people. But if I, if I, if I come to Christ, that means you know, my group of friends may kick me out. Well, your group of friends may be going to hell. Do you want to go with them? And Jesus is saying here, however extreme you have to be to make sure Whatever you've got to let go of, whatever you've got to cut out of your life, it's worth it, he's saying. It's worth anything. That's how serious Jesus saw the consequences of an eternity in hell. Let's look at another verse or two on this. Let's go to Matthew 18. Verse 8. Similar thing. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It's better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into everlasting fire. We'll talk about that a little later on. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you. It's better that you enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes and be cast into hell fire. So there's a severity here that's so severe that Jesus is saying whatever extreme steps you've got to take, whatever you've got to let go of, whatever price you've got to pay that you think, I'm not sure it's worth it, it's worth it, he's saying. That's how serious this choice is that we have to make. Go with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1.
We'll start in verse 6. He's talking before this about the, the, the persecution that they were enduring and the, the difficult times they were going through, the tribulation they were going through. It talks about enduring it. And, and again, the persecution that they were suffering. Verse 6. Since it's a righteous thing with God to repay tribulation, to, to, to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So when he comes back, this is what's going to happen. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. I like the scriptures on my refrigerator. It says, My Lord God will meet all my needs according to His riches and glory, Christ Jesus. I like the scriptures on my, you know, here in His love, not that we loved Him, but that He loved us first. Greater love is no man. I, I love all those scriptures, but this is just so much the Word of God. Now I say, I don't, how do I handle a God who said he's going to destroy? We'll talk about that two weeks from now. Don't get, don't get hung up in that. The point here is this. Look at what this verse says. Verse 9. Shall be punished with everlasting destruction, everlasting destruction, from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. In other words, in hell, they are permanently separated from the presence of of God. That's hard for us to imagine what the, what, how scary that must be. Because the only light in the world today, the only life in the world today, the only joy in the world today, the only peace in the world today, the only hope in the world today comes because God's presence is here. Book of Revelation, it talks about that, that, that when the Antichrist rises up and takes over, excuse me, it's in, it's in, this, in this book, because the restrainer is moved out. Many people believe, and I believe they're right, that's the church, it's the presence of God. When God's presence is removed, there's nothing holding back evil. There's nothing holding back evil. And you cannot begin to imagine the power of Satan's evil. Now, and over a Christian, he can't exercise that without your permission. Because the Bible says we've been transferred out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. But that means when you came to Christ, you were in the domain of darkness. That means everyone that's still separated from Christ is still in the domain, the dominion, the authority, the rule, the power of darkness. And the only thing that holds it back in the earth today, and I know it's getting worse and worse, but the only thing that's holding it back at all is the presence of God. Imagine a place where there is no presence of God and there's nothing but darkness and fear and torment. No hope, no joy, no peace, no refreshing. We'll look at that as we get into this. To be separated from the presence of God. Jesus on the cross cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what that was was for the first time in his existence, his spirit was separated from the experience of God's presence. 
And he depended and lived so totally on that presence, that fellowship with God, that he cried out. God had to pull himself away from him because God had just put on him the sin of the world. And God and sin cannot reside together because God is a holy God. So it's a place where there's no presence of God. Not diminished, none. No presence of God. No hope, no peace, no joy, no life, no light. Only evil and nothing to restrain it or hold it back. Go to Matthew chapter 8. There are many other verses I could go to, but I want to I want to do this in one day cuz I'm not sure I want to dwell on this for more than one day. Story of the centurion. It's a story of healing. The centurion comes to Jesus and says, "My servant's lying at home, he's very sick and with palsy. And Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. And the centurion says, no, I'm, I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. And not only that, you don't need to. You can just say the word here and my servant will be healed at home. And Jesus stops and marvels at his faith and turns to talk to his disciples. And this is what he says. When Jesus heard this, verse 10, He marveled and said to those who followed him, Surely I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. I say to you that many will come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom, that's talking about the Jews that didn't come and believe in him. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Think about that for a moment. Weeping. Well, weeping can be everything to to a cry out of your inner being, out of anguish. And gnashing of teeth is when it's the agony is so bad you're grinding your teeth. So this is not a teardrop or two falling down a cheek. This is an utter cry of the heart out of despair and hopelessness. I know this isn't an encouraging message, but we need to hear the reality of hell. Because the good news we're going to find out is you don't have to go there. Weeping, it says this in a number of places, weeping, gnashing of teeth. Mark 9. We're talking about different aspects of hell and we're only going to cover a few of them. It's severity. It's eternal separation from God. There's agony. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mark chapter 9. 
chapter. We'll start in verse 45. If your foot causes you to sin, here's the same principle. Cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet, to be cast into hell, into fire that shall never be quenched. Where the worm does not die, that's the worm that's eating away, and the fire is not quenched. Understand this. We're going to continue on here in a minute. You and I have a body here that's made of the dust of this earth, that's made of the stuff of this earth. So it's perishable. If, if you don't believe that, look at an old picture of yourself and look at a picture, look in the mirror. You're, you're in the process of, your skin is in the process of, you know, Paul says, you know, the outer man's getting weaker, but the inner man's getting renewed day by day. And so we live in a world where the, where the material realm, this, which your body is made of, is, is mortal. It, it, can be, it can be cut. It can, be, it, can be, it can decay. But understand this, there's a spirit realm which is where hell is and what heaven is. And, and you have a body, but that body is eternal. So it cannot be destroyed, but that does not mean it cannot experience pain and pleasure. And I'm gonna, if we get time to, I'm going to read an account of somebody that went there and talks about demons eating away at their body, and yet their body was never destroyed. So there's no end to it. And so when he's talking about the worm that never dies, he's talking about a worm that's eating away but never finishes eating. I know this isn't fun to listen to. And it may gross some of you out. But it's rather be grossed out here (laughs) than to experience it. Because this is in the Word of God. I'm just reading to you scriptures. The worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. It burns, but it never destroys. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than have two eyes and be cast into hellfire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So there's an eternal fire. And I've got about 20 scriptures that talk about the eternal fire. The, un- the unconsuming fire of hell. Go with me to Luke chapter 8. This is a story of a man who was demon-possessed. And he is terrorizing an entire community. In fact, it's so bad that you can't go down the main road. And in other accounts, it says they couldn't keep him in chains. They tried to chain him and lock him up in a, in a dungeon. And the power of the demons that were in him, were, there's, they were, their, their power is unlimited. And it broke the chains. They couldn't keep him in. And Jesus is on his way to this town of Gadara. 
in this area Gadara, and this demon, this demon-possessed man comes out. They couldn't keep him in clothes. They couldn't keep him chained. They tried all with human strength to control him, and they couldn't do it. And Jesus confronts him and casts the demons out. And he says to them, what's your name? And they said, Legion, which is a thousand, because there are thousands of us in here. Think of that. Thousands of them in that man. And look what they do. They recognized the authority that Jesus has over them. Verse 30. And Jesus asked them, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons have entered him. And they begged him that he would not command them to go into the abyss. In other words, they know they're coming out of this man. And now they're pleading with him to not send them to the abyss. Instead, they ask him to be sent into a herd of pigs. And on Wednesday night, we've learned why. The point here is, they understand that hell is an abyss. That word means bottomless pit. A pit that has no end to it. Let's look at another scripture. Let's go over into Revelation. Chapter 9. Start in verse 1. And the fifth angel sounded. I saw a star falling from heaven to the earth, and to him was given a key to the bottomless pit. And he opened, now this is looking way in the future, and he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit, like the smoke of a great furnace. Remember, it's an unending fire. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke from the pit. And then out of the smoke, locusts came up on the earth. To them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. And I believe these are demons let loose. And they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only the men who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months Now, if they were let out of the pit, that means they were already in the pit. I don't want to go in that pit where these beasts are. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 2. We're still talking about aspects of what it's like. And again, we could spend a great deal of time looking at these. At some point, maybe we will come back. 2 Peter 2, verse 4. For God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Chains of darkness. Now, how can a darkness be a chain? 
Well, if you think of a chain as something that holds you in place, imagine, imagine suddenly to be in here, thrown into absolute darkness. You'd be afraid to move. So the fear of the unknown, the fear of what might be out there that you can't see holds you in place like a chain. If we have time, I'm going to read an account out of a book. And it talks about the power of the darkness there. See, darkness to us is an absence of light. But spiritual darkness, that's natural darkness. Spiritual darkness is a force. It's a demonic force coming from Satan. And it has power in it. That's why Colossians 1.13 says, we have been delivered from the domain of what? Darkness. The authority and the power of darkness. So this is a place of unimaginable darkness. Not just physical darkness that you can't see, but spiritual darkness and evil. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I've gone into a house or a situation and you can almost feel the evil. And call it like there's a darkness in that place. Yeah, it's a spiritual force. And in this place, there's nothing restraining that evil darkness. All right. Let's move on. Well, let's look at this verse. So we've talked a little bit about, just a little bit about what it's like. Let's talk about why it was created, and we'll talk more about that in two weeks. Well, Peter gives us an insight here. Verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. In other words, this place was not made for man. What God made for man was the Garden of Eden. What God made for man was a place that's called paradise. And we've talked about it before. What God made for man was a place of great provision and great peace and great joy where his presence dwelt without restriction. That's what God made for man. What God made for the angels who rebelled was a place of unbelievable torment, from, separated from his presence. And we'll see on two weeks, what makes it torment is they are in the hands of the one that ultimately rebelled against God. So this is not a place God, you know, well, God, why would God send somebody to hell? He didn't make it for us. He didn't make it for us. But we'll learn in two weeks why we can choose to go there if we choose to. All right. So it's not made for man. It was made for angels that rebelled against him. Go to um, Matthew 25.
Now, this is, the, this is a judgment where he has the nations uh, come before him. He, he's talking to his disciples to prepare them for the end days, end times. And he says what will happen is um, the, the nations, all the nations will be called before the throne, and, and they will be separated, uh, sheep on one side and goats on the other. And then he talks about the basis for the separation, as to basically how they treated him. And he says uh, in verse 41, Then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me. You cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's what it was prepared for. It was prepared for Satan and for his angels. Let's look down at back at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And all the angels will be gathered before him, and he will separate the one from the other as the sheep divide, as the shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. And he will set the goats on the one hand and the sheep on the other. And the king will say to those on the right hand, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And he goes on and said, Because I was hungry and you gave me food. The point here is this. Verse 41 again. Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire. The point here is this, is this is eternal. There's no hope. Now that's hard for us to imagine, eternity. Because we live in time, that's all we've ever known. We, have, we know everything that we've ever known has a beginning and has an end. We may not always know when the end comes, but we expect something's going to end. There are some things that I've had to do that I know weren't pleasant, but I can look forward and say, yeah, but I know I'm going to get through that. You know, I can know I can put up with that for a period of time. Some of you may love, may love summer and hate winter, but you say, well, at least I know, you know, I know it's only like three or four months. It's going to end sometime. Some of you may love winter and you know, the hot days of July and August, but I can put up with it because I know it's going to come to an end. But imagine being in something that is horrible and tormenting and all the things we've talked about and there's not even the slightest prospect of it ever ending and you know that every moment. Look back on your life. Whatever age you are, look back and notice how fast that went. Notice how fast that went. Notice how fast that went. The Bible says our life is like a hand's breath. And it's gone. You look back in history to the founding of this nation. 1775, 76. You look back to a few years ago, well, 13 years ago, we, we turned into a new century. And that was momentous to look at where we were then, go back a thousand years, back to the year 1000, they were in the middle of the dark ages. They didn't have cell phones back then. They couldn't conceive of what a phone was. And then go back 2,000 years and now we can, with Christ, then go back 4,000 years. 4,000 years is nothing in eternity. I was listening to a message of Tony Cook 
my wife and I, where he talks about getting God's perspective on things, and he talks about the, the uh, uh, astrophysics, and he talks about just the great distances of the universe and, and, and how far away some of these galaxies are. There are billions of light years. A light year is how far, how, how far you could travel at the speed of light. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. Miles is it? Per second. Per second. How many seconds in a year? That's a light year. And these are billions out there. So they're saying some of the stars you can see blew up a thousand years ago and we haven't seen it yet. But we still see the light coming from it. 50,000, 50 billion light years is nothing in eternity. Because eternity is forever. No end. No end. And part of the agony has got to be, this is never, ever going to end. And yet we make decisions here in the space of this brief time that will determine where we will spend forever. 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 Turn with me to Luke 16. Well, some people say, you know, yeah, yeah, but you know, it's not real. That's just religion. That's just the Bible. That's just, um, you know, that's, that's just man's theory. Man's made this up. Scientists haven't found it. They haven't found God either. <laughs> you know, it's not so important what the scientists find. It's more important what God finds. But if you're among those, and I'm speaking especially to our young people right now, who may be saying, well, you know, I'm taught in school these things aren't real, and we just learn them in church. And So you've got professors and teachers and your friends saying, ah, that stuff's not real. And then you've got me and your parents and the Bible, and the Bible saying it is. Let me just make this really simple. One of us is wrong. Either your teachers and all that are telling you it's not real, either they're right or the Bible's right. There's no middle ground. Understand that. There's no middle ground. And what I'm teaching you this morning is you cannot afford to be wrong. Because if you're wrong on this one, you don't repeat the great again. You don't come back in the next life as a grasshopper. You don't go through some eternal pantheetic or whatever it is, pathetic, um, (laughs) process of coming through. And No, you get one shot at this. It's appointed unto man once. That's what God says. Now, the philosophers can have their opinion. And I was a philosophy major. The scientists can have their opinion. 
And then this is what God says. But I know I'm not going to have to stand in front of the philosophers and have them judge. I know I'm not going to hand, stand in front of a science teacher or Einstein or anybody else that's been the brightest person that's ever lived. I'm not going to hand and stand before them and have them judge. But if I am going to stand before somebody, it's going to be God. And let me ask you this question. Can you afford to be wrong? I'd rather believe in hell and what the Bible says about hell and live my life, make my life, give my commitment to Christ and come to the end and find out it wasn't real. But at least I lived a good life. And find out I was wrong that way than having thumbed my nose at at the Bible, thumbed my nose at the teachings about hell and heaven, you know, thumb my nose at Christ, all that thing, you know, say, ah, it's not important, and come to the end of my life and find out I was wrong. I was talking with one of our sons yesterday, or the day before yesterday, and he brought something up, and it fit right into this. Talked about a friend of his sitting at the deathbed of his father who had been a strong, intelligent, educated man his whole life. Confident. And in those last moments, and this was an atheist. His father was an atheist, and the son's an atheist. My son's friend is an atheist. Sitting there watching his father go through those last moments, he said the panicked look on his face as he began to glimpse that there was another world. I'll never forget. He said, it began me on a search to find out what is the answer. There's got to be some answer out there. Well, that's the beginning, because that's how I began, looking. I told my son, I said, I've sat at the bed of, and I know some of the pastors here and some of you, I've sat at the deathbed of a saint. watch their face begin to smile. And they begin to look up. The report I got of Marianne Brown, which at three o'clock in the morning when she always met with her Lord, is she lifted her hands up like this with a joy in her face. The book of Acts, Stephen, while they were stoning him to death, looked up and his face began to shine as he looked into heaven and he saw his Lord looking down at him. On a deathbed, you can't fake it. It's no more your traditions, your philosophy. It's no more, you know, what so-and-so said. You're now facing it for you. It's not your theory anymore. This is it. This is where the rubber hits the road. This is either true or it's not true. Stepping into the moment of eternity. Which path? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, there's only two of them. There's a broad, wide one that everybody, many people go down, but it leads to destruction. He's not talking about destruction in this life. He's talking about what we're talking about. And the other's narrow. And it's not easy to get into, but it's open to Everybody. It's not easy to get into because you can't take a lot of stuff with you. It's you. But it leads to 
everlasting life. We'll end with this and then I'm going to refer you to a book. And There was a certain rich man, this is Luke 16, 16, 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus who was full of sores who was laid outside his gate. So you've got this rich man, he's got everything in the world, beautiful clothes, and then there's a beggar who's outside full of sores who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed from the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and they licked his sores. And so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. That's a euphemism for heaven. And the rich man also died and was buried and being, being in torments in Hades, or hell. He lifted up his eyes, and he saw Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried, and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And says Lazarus, that he may he dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil. But now he's comforted and you are tormented. Besides all that, between us and you there's a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those pass from there from, uh, to us. And then he said, Then I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. I have five brothers. And he may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, They've got Moses and the prophets. In other words, they've got the word of God. Let them hear. And he says, No, Father Abraham, but if somebody goes from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though someone would rise from the dead. I'm not going to take the time today. A few years ago, somebody gave me a book. Now, I don't preach out of somebody else's book. I preach out of the Bible. Sometimes I will read something to you from a book, but I'll explain to you it's not necessarily the gospel. But there's a value sometimes. Sometimes God allows somebody to go through an experience in our bookstore. There's a little mini book by Brother Hagin, I Went to Hell. And I believe God allows some people to go through experiences so that they can help us. I know one of the things that helped me come to the Lord where I read books, accounts of people that had gone, had, had died and had gone at least in the process of going to heaven and come back and it changed them. I know a man, that, two men that that, that happened to. That's, we don't preach that as the gospel. But there are experiences. A year or so ago there was a book by a little boy named Colton that came out at Heaven is Real. Went in the New York, Seller, New York Times bestseller list. And there were scriptures in there and, and this, this book is like that but it's not about going to heaven. Now we only have one copy in the bookstore so don't flood the bookstore but we're going to get some more. It's called 23 Minutes in Hell. And it's about a Christian who was sent there, allowed to go there by God to experience some things. It is eye-opening. He gives scriptures. And if you want to get a deeper emotional sense, he talks about being sent into a cell with enormous demons, bigger than you could imagine ugly and the odor that came from them was almost impossible to believe. 
and how that they clawed at him and gnashed at him. And that's why I wonder whether gnashing of teeth is in us, but it's may being we're being gnashed or they're being gnashed. Talks about how he escaped and got outside of it, and he saw the lake of fire, and he saw people in that screaming and tormented, crying to get out. Talked about the power of the darkness that was there. So we're going to get some in the bookstore if you're interested. Understand this is not necessarily, but there's scriptures for everything he says in there. Next week, we're going to go in the other direction. I was thinking this morning as I was getting ready, have you ever gone in to buy a car? Or you go to a, a, a you know a furniture store, or something where you're going to make a large purchase. What do they like to do? They don't want to talk to you the price. They want you to sit in the car, smell the new car smell. They want you to go out and get the feel of that on the road. They want you to lie on the bed, you know, and get oh comfy. Oh, they want you to experience what you're about to make a choice to buy or not buy. And the reason that we started with this first is I want you to. I want you to get a taste, if you're a Christian, of what you've been saved for from. So that every day we wake up, we're thankful. Because the only thing that keep, kept, keeps you from, being, from going there is Jesus Christ dying for you on the cross. It's not because you've become such a good Christian since then. It's not because you lived a good life or a bad life. It's not because of one thing and one thing only. Jesus died on a cross for you. That's the only thing that has saved each one of us from spending an eternity and what we've only glanced at today. But you may be here this morning and you're saying, I don't know whether I've ever done that or not. I don't know whether I'm going there or not. I, I hope not because, you know, I, I've tried to do the best I can with my life. I've been in church most of my life. Or, but I don't know for sure where I'm going to go. You can leave here this morning knowing from sure that the closest thing to hell you're ever going to experience is what you're going through right now here on earth. For a Christian, this is the closest thing to hell you're ever going to experience. But for someone that's never come to Christ, this is the closest thing to heaven you're ever going to experience. It's your choice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us so much you've given us your word to tell us, Lord, the consequences of our choice. And I pray right now, Father, for anyone that's here that's received Christ as their Savior and just taken everything for granted and just kind of stumbling around in life and really caught up in the pressures of life. That you would take what they've heard this morning, Lord, and help them to see how blessed they are. How truly blessed they are that what we've read today, they're never going to have to face. Help us every day, Father, to be grateful and thankful that this is not our future and this is not our hope. I pray right now, Father, for anyone that's here that has never received Christ as their Savior and as their Lord that have never come to face 
the reality of where their life is headed when they breathe their last breath. Help them right now, Father, to face that and to make the choice that they need to make. In Jesus' name, amen.